Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Everybody, Doc Bryan here. A few weeks ago now, Facebook and Instagram went down and people were losing their minds. And I wonder how reliant have we become on social media that we have lost our interpersonal relationship and interpersonal skills. I think it's important for us to make sure that we are having that face-to-face interaction or even just talking on the phone or doing FaceTime with others. Let's not just live in a digital world of where we are texting or emailing or posting pictures on social media. Let's try for once to get back to that personal interaction. Pick up the phone, call somebody, FaceTime somebody, tell them that you love them, have a genuine conversation, and I guarantee you it'll make your day a lot better. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Uh, today, I have with me James and Janae Smith, and we are very privileged to have uh, Rachel uh, Florin. Is that how you say your last name? Yes. Rachel Florin, who is LPC and is their marriage counselor. And so, uh, James, Janae, Rachel, it is good to have you with us here today. Thanks for having us. Sure. So I stumbled across Janae. Actually, let me take that back. Somebody sent me your TikTok that went viral. Mm-hmm. And and this is what it said. So this is what being cheated on looks like by your spouse. I was told I was. I didn't exist. He had sex with other people. Invited to them to our house when I had the kids. I'm... I'm broken. I hurt so bad. I feel so gross. I'm mortified for my kids. And to anyone who thinks, why are you sharing this? Because I'm alone right now in this state where you don't know anybody. My mom's on vacation with her boyfriend. I'm alone. I'm heartbroken. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I just keep finding out more and more information. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Don't do this to your spouse. Don't cheat on them. Don't destroy your family. Don't lie. It breaks people. Janae, that was very, very raw and yeah. vulnerable. How did you feel after you made that and you posted it? Was there any type of immediate like feeling of release or was there anxiety of who's going to see this? Or what was your emotion when you finally posted that? When I posted it, it was definitely more of a, a relief because it literally only took seconds and then family and friends started texting and calling me. And it was just, 
I felt so alone and I was so at the bottom of where I've ever been before feeling those emotions. And I didn't, you know, the person that you're supposed to go to when you have those emotions is your spouse. But unfortunately, in this situation, the spouse was the one causing those emotions. And my mom, unfortunately, was on vacation. So I didn't want to ruin her trip. So I kind of just put it out there for the world and anyone because I just didn't, I really didn't know who was appropriate to call and who wasn't. And I just felt like my life was falling apart around me. So it was very raw. I've never recorded myself that upset. That's why it was hard for my family and friends to watch. Even to this day, it's hard for me to watch because I'm really not a crier. (laughs) So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely me at my lowest. And that's why I just didn't know what else to do. I was really lost in that moment. Yeah. And, and from, from just looking, it's like 3.7 million views. Mm-hmm. What is that emotion of when you look at that now saying that 3.7 million people have heard my story? Now, so I, right away, people started to reach out and people were like, this touched me. I feel this to the core. Like, unfortunately, cheating is almost taboo to talk about. People don't talk about it. Um, It's something that you're supposed to keep behind closed doors. And it's supposed to be something that's secret. And, you know, I've always been very open in general. But hearing from others that I wasn't alone helped me. And it also helped them. I mean, I've talked to hundreds of people, whether it be people that have been cheated on or people that have cheated or kids of parents who they know have cheated. I mean, just a giant array of people who have reached out to basically say, thank you for posting and being so raw. It's nice to know I'm not alone. It's nice to see that this is actually being touched on and talked about because it's something that we're always taught to keep a secret and it it shouldn't be. It should be talked about so more people can feel okay talking about it. And, and there are instances of where I have counseled then with a family of a loved one who committed suicide because they did keep it in. You know, they yeah. didn't. They felt like, no, we can't talk about this. This, and and a lot of times in those situations, the person who was cheated on in some cases feels like it was their fault, and that that I caused this and. You know, you only control yourself and and mm-hmm. that's all you can do. Now, James, in, in talking to you, if I remember correctly, you said that you've not actually watched that video. Is that is that true? Not the full thing. No, I didn't watch. I watched the clips of it that they showed when we went on the Dr. Phil show. They played a clip of it. And that's all I've seen. Why have you not watched that video in, in entirety? Uh, well, I've seen pieces of that bef- of the video before and I knew by the time I watched it or the I talked by the time I saw the clips of it I was already feeling very guilty and feeling lots of remorse and I knew seeing that was I don't know just something I didn't want to face really I knew I heard her and I didn't want to see the extent of the damage I did if that makes sense. So was it in protecting your mental health or was it that, no, I just don't even, I don't want to hear this? A little bit of both, I think. Yeah. Uh, Initially anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
so let's back up here a little ways and tell me how you met. How did you and uh, Janae meet? What was what was that? Now you are a former Army. Marine? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then by the time we'd met, I'd already been out for about a, a year, I think. And we you'd uh, been back. You weren't out yet. Oh, that's right. I wasn't out of the army. <laughs> you didn't get I was not out together. of the army. I was inactive. But yeah, I had just gotten back from, from a deployment less than a year before that. We were both single, obviously, and out. And we met we actually met each other in a bar in a real <laughs> in the real small town of where Janae grew up. So yeah. and my dad lived in that town. So I got out of the military. I actually got out of the relationship I was in with my oldest daughter's mom. And I spent a lot of time with my family after that. So I was in, in the, um, the area where she grew up and where she would, you know, go out and hang out with her friends. So that, that's where we met. Were, were either of you married prior to this, this marriage? No. Okay. And so James, what, what is your recollection of how you felt the moment you laid eyes on Janae? It wasn't love at first sight, but <laughs> if that's what you're trying no. to get me to say. No, um, no. We were in line at we were in line at the bar waiting for drinks and were you in front of me or behind me? I was in front because I turned I remember turning around. Okay, he was in front of me and I'm a talker. That's not obvious to everyone who's seen the show or meeting me. I'm a talker. And he was in front of me and I was talking to my friends and the line was long and he was like he, he she wasn't talking she was complaining i was complaining. i was complaining <laughs> it was taking a long time and he turned around and he was like you'd be a horrible person to take to disneyland and i was like excuse me <laughs> that's all he said to me and i was like well that's rude and then um then he later came up to me in the bar and talked to me again and then we started chatting and we actually became friends we weren't like into each other like that at first we were just friends we were friends for what, a month maybe a little bit longer a month before we actually started like dating each other so we would just talk and hang out and talk to each other about other people <laughs> but yeah. yeah so that may be one of the best pickup lines that i've ever heard <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and so you you nurtured this friendship then into a relationship. How long was it after you uh, met that you were married? Uh, two two years. Two years. Okay. Uh, and you have two children. Yes, we have two children that are ours. Mine together. biologically, and then um, he has his first daughter who lives this full time. So three. So you have three children in the house. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and if I remember correctly, prior to your marriage, you had some sort of cancer? Yes. Um, that was in 2012. It's called a desmoid tumor. Um, I got diagnosed in January of 2012, February of 2012. I had my first surgery. Then it came back within six months and I had to get radiation treatment, which started in September of 2012. And then December 26, 2012, I had my second surgery where they removed my whole right abdominal wall. So I don't have any muscle on my whole right side of my abdomen. It's just mesh with, um, screws. <laughs> and that was, and that was prior to your meeting, James. Yes, it was. Okay. So I met him about a year after that. So you had completed your course of treatment. When... Yes, I had. Okay. So you're married now you have kids. What was everyday life like prior to to what ultimately led to a demise here? 
pretty much the same. I mean, James was always the person that went to work. I was always at home with the kids. Um, our oldest usually has sports. So on the weekend, that usually entails us going to some sporting event. He always takes the kids to church on Sundays. I mean, we're big on holidays. Like I always make sure we go to pumpkin patches. And then I always take my oldest to the Nutcracker every December. Um, Thanksgiving, like we always go to one of our family's houses. It was school, sports, and then family. Yeah. It was really yeah. all, all, yeah. We're pretty generic. And then, and then and for me, I you add work to that for me. Yeah. So, so would it be fair to say you were typical suburban family? Yeah. Yes. The epitome, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, Janae, how did you come to know or suspect that James was was talking to anyone else or that he had actually cheated? How did that transpire? So there was a couple times during July that he had stayed out late, which I thought was weird, but it was, he kept telling me it was for networking, but then it was our anniversary which was July 16th, that he stayed out till 4 a.m. and told me that it was networking and tried to tell me, oh, well, it was in uh, Dallas and then I had to charge my Tesla. And then like, and then I was asking questions like, oh, okay, well then can you give me their information? Like, that's weird. I've never heard of it going that long. And then he was like, why would, why would I need to give you their information? And it started to be like getting mad about me asking simple questions like that. And then it was, you know, that same day he had like showered multiple times that day. And then the final like hint was that like I was trying to show him something on his phone and we never lock our phones and we have each other's, well, I don't have a code on my phone, but he has one on his, but I know it. And I grabbed his phone to show him and he like grabbed it away from me and like hard. And I knew like right then, like, that's weird. That's not right. Yeah. Because we've never, there's never been an issue with phones before. So she knew as soon as I pulled it away, there was something wrong. Something wrong. Sure. So, and and you know, uh, my first thought is, well, he wasn't lying. He was networking. It just wasn't the networking yeah. that that you would yeah. perceive. Exactly. And so now that this has happened, that he's pulling away, that he's taken multiple showers in a day. How did you approach that? Did you approach it the day that you took the phone away or, or, or excuse me, that you tried to look at his phone? Yeah, it was that same day. So my mom, I called my mom, my mom being the super sleuth she is. <laughs> She's always worked for, she worked for T-Mobile for 10 years. So she was like, you should look at your phone records because they're going to be able to tell you like who he's called, like how long the calls are. Same with the text logs. And I was like, that's genius because I thought he was acting weird and I thought maybe he was off his medicine which he was uh, but I thought maybe that was it but um and just for clarification he takes mental health medication for sertraline for so it's the generic form of Zoloft for his PTSD yes okay and the PTSD is related to time in the military mostly okay and then childhood trauma as well okay okay so Rachel as a uh, a therapist here What do we do when we find ourselves in that situation of where there is just something that happens that is completely out of character? Well, you start asking a lot of questions. You know, what's changed? When did it change? Um, And kind of get a, you know, a picture of what things looked like before. So you can, you know, you start fishing. Um, And in this situation, you know, immediately I got, you know, the PTSD from the military. 
Um, so there's something there. But the more that I was able to dig, you know, going into that childhood trauma as well. So we have these different things we can look at, like how could that have impacted, you know, his brain um, and his behavior and then medication, because if you're on medication and especially a psychotropic medication, like an antidepressant, like Zoloft, now, are you going to blame the behavior on that? No, but you can definitely look at, okay, there, there's definitely a pattern here. So you're off the medication and behaviors change. While you don't blame the medication right. to justify the action, you look at, the, at that as a symptom that led to the behavior. Yeah, absolutely. You have to look at the whole picture. Yeah. So you definitely have to get lots of information. You know, at this point, you're an investigator because a lot of people want to just like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're you're this horrible person. You're this cheater. And, you know, then here's the, the partner who's, you know, feels betrayed and hurt and they have their own pain. And, you know, you're trying to balance all this like, OK, let's hold on. Let's let's look at the big picture here. And just take a minute. And so we started doing a lot of digging and I got a lot of information from him. And so there were definitely some significant things that stuck out to me being the PTSD from the military, the childhood abuse and trauma. And when the actual cheating pattern started, they didn't exist prior to his deployments that came afterwards. So you do have to take that into consideration to kind of, so we're not just, hey, oh my God, this is this bad guy here. Hold on a minute. This isn't about you. Let's just look at big picture and try to figure out what we can do to help the situation. So were you seeing them prior to the cheating or did they come to you after that took place? No, that was the presentation. Uh, that's what brought them into my office um, was okay. the cheating. Now, Janae, you mentioned it is Janae. I, I drew yes, a blank nice. there for a minute. Right. I was like, oh, my You're goodness, right. I've, I have called you by the wrong name. If I call you James in a minute, it's because his name is right there at the bottom of the screen. So <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. So uh, when you said that he immediately pulled his phone away, mm -hmm. that took me back to a spot where in my marriage, I did the same thing to my wife. I pulled the phone away, but it wasn't because I was cheating. It was because I had purchased something for her that if she looked at my phone, she was going to see that I had purchased a gift that was a secret. What led you to believe that it was something more that was not innocent? Because I was trying to show him something in our text messages. So I was specifically going into our text, his text messages. And when he knew I was doing that, that's when he grabbed it instantly. And and I think it's important to note for our listeners that just because your partner doesn't let you see their phone doesn't necessarily mean that they're cheating. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like there was a totality of circumstance here Absolutely. that led to that, that suspicion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You then approach him about it. And what is his story? So he actually came home and he was like, oh, so you're calling my friends now? <laughs> it's like, um, they're not your friends. I said, if they were your friends and I would know who they were and I don't know who they are, you've never told me about these people. And then it was, oh, she's lying. That girl's making it up. And then it became a whole trying to blame this poor girl who was being 100% honest with me. I know him well enough to know when he's lying and he was lying to my face. Then I started crying and trying to talk to him and he was in his office and he was like, this is why we should be getting divorced. And I was crying harder. And then he called me pathetic. And then that's finally when I was like, I called my mom and my mom was like, I'm going to fly you out here because you just need to get away because 
this isn't healthy. James, in that moment of where, for lack of a better term, you were caught red-handed. Yeah. What was the thought process there? Was it just kind of involuntary that you denied it? The term that I, like, for lack of a better term, is like self-preservation. Like, I was trying to, you know, I think part of it, I was still in denial denial myself, you know, lying to myself what the extent I actually went, you know, and I didn't want to admit it out loud. It wasn't just I was lying to her. I didn't want to admit it out loud and hear myself say what I was actually doing. Right. Because when you speak it, it becomes real. Yeah. Yeah. So, Janae, uh, what would have happened if James would have said, you're right. I did cheat. This is who I cheated with. This is everything that I did. Here is the phone. You can see everything. I'm an open book. I'm sorry. It will never happen again. What would have happened had he responded in that way? Well, that's a fantastic question. Um, I honestly don't know that I have the correct answer. I mean, I would like to sit here and say that I'm sure I probably would have handled it kind of the same way I went about it, but it just would have been quicker. So therefore I would have said, wow, okay, well, we need to get a therapist and, you know, we need to get help and we need to go talk to someone. I mean, so kind of the same steps that I'm taking now, other than the fact that I wouldn't have lost, I lost a lot of respect and trust. I lost all of it. Like it's all gone. So like you're starting from zero where I think if someone like admits their wrongs, like right away, I don't think that it would be zero. I think I at least would, I would respect him at least enough for saying I messed up. I'm so sorry. You're right. I got caught, but that wasn't the case. I mean, it was just lie after lie after lie and trying to blame others. Not even, not even taking responsibility for anything. It was someone else's fault. They weren't telling the truth and he was the victim. Well, it was at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't so much blaming others. It was just saying that other people are lying about it. I was still trying to lie about it actually happening. So it wasn't so much blaming others. It was just lying to try to, you know, I was still lying. (laughs) I think it is important to note that in situations like these, whether the spouse is lying or not, that it is important for us to not just immediately throw it away and not immediately to just walk away. And and I think that in a in a relationship that that wasn't as mature as yours, that could have easily happened. And then you're left to deal with the trauma of being cheated on. He's left to deal with the trauma of cheating and showing his his family and his children how how he acted that that to me, there is a lot more trauma when you just walk away when you try to stay and fix it. Rachel, would you agree with that statement? I absolutely would. And Gate, when you were saying it like that, it almost made me think of the aftermath of some kind of wreckage. You know, you just you just don't walk away and, and forget about it. You know, you have to deal with that trauma because it comes back, you know, and that's when bad things happen. And trauma just does funny things to the brain. And kind of, you know, going back to that, you know, earlier when you were asking me um, about the trauma and it just started making sense to me that there was something else going on here. Sure. And and our brain does a really good job of suppressing trauma and making it not really look as bad as it is. Yes. And and I have to really commend both of my clients uh, because there was so much pain there and it would have been so easy to walk away. On one hand, James is like, okay, finally, 
And you take it a little bit, James, but he's putting the mirror in front of his face and he's willing to listen. He's willing to hear. He's doing it right now. He went on this, you know, international, Dr. Phil, I believe is international um, show and put his business out there. And that's a risk. And Janae went out there and, you know, is traumatic as this was and embarrassing and still put it out there and wasn't and still wasn't pointing a finger at, oh, he's so bad. She wanted help and she was looking for help for their for their lives. They weren't trying to get 15 minutes of fame. They actually wanted help and they thought that that's what they were going to do. I think it is important to note that James certainly wouldn't have put himself in a vulnerable position like that had he not loved or cared for Janae. Absolutely. And that's something that when they come to my office and, you know, they often have to bring their youngest son, but as hard as this is, and so much pain, you can, you know, it's palpable, the pain, but there's still, that love is also palpable and to watch them interact with each other, still going through this and with their, you know, their child, it's really beautiful. And and I'm so glad that they just didn't give up and throw this away because this can this can be their history, you know, 30, 40 years from now, looking back to see where they were and where they where they will be, you know. And I believe that they will heal from this because of what they're going through right now and what they're doing right now. So, so uh, James, within your within your childhood trauma, were were there issues there of abandonment? Oh yeah, um, I mean that was that's really what really kicked off my childhood. Really. Um, my parents divorced when I was really young. I think I was about four. And then right away, my mother decided to uh, decide she just didn't want to be a mother anymore, really. And she, in years later, she would tell me, you know, I wasn't ready to be a mother at 20 or 19, 20, somewhere around there is when she had me. I know she got pregnant like the year after she graduated, so high school. So when my parents got divorced, she she just left and didn't tell anyone where she went. And so there was a, and that was the first time she had that first time she was gone for two or three years. And before she came back and, you know, that first time she came back, you know, I was still really young and I was really excited to see my mom, you know, I wanted that relationship. So I jumped right back in, uh, thinking I could trust her right off the bat. And then it happened again and then it happened again. So it happened about four times. And I just kept forgiving her every time. But that whole time she, you know, she was involved in drugs and she ended up going to prison twice. The second time she went to prison and this was the, this is what kind of broke the camel's back as I was on one of my deployments. And before that deployment, we were working on her relationship again. You know, she was gone. She came back and she had been back for a while, but there was still a lot of, uh, a lot that needed to be fixed in our relationship, obviously. And you know, she was trying to change. These are all the things she's telling me, right? Trying to change, become a better person, a better mom. You know, I was starting my family and she wanted to be a part of it. And so I ended up going on, and I think this is my second deployment. And I get a call. I was talking to one of my sisters and she goes, uh, mom's back in prison. And um, so that was kind of, the final straws and she, she went to prison for identity theft to, to fund her, her addictions is actually, I got back from that deployment and Janae and I started dating and 
she got out of prison when we were dating. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is kind of going to be, this is going to be like your last chance. When I taught that first time I saw her, I got back from a deployment. She got out of prison, you know, and I said, you know, I want to help you get on your feet. I want to see you succeed. You can live with me. You can get a job, you know, you know, I was trying to give her everything that I could possibly give her to give her a chance to really redeem herself and be the mom that she said she wanted to be. What ended up happening is she moved in with, and which this is kind of weird. She moved in with my dad's mother. So her ex mother-in-law, they still had a relationship. And uh, I think after about what a year, not even not a year, year, we find out that she was stealing from her. She stole from my sister and she like gains a gambling addiction. And so at that point, that's when I, I haven't talked to her since then, which was about um, six seven. or seven years yeah. ago. So, and that was the last time I talked to her. Okay. So, I mean, obviously childhood abandonment there. Um, and, yeah. that, and that's just, that's one aspect of my childhood. <laughs> okay. So we can talk about my dad too, but that's completely different. So your formal diagnosis is PTSD. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So to Rachel, as as I'm sure that you know, as a practitioner, um, complex PTSD can off, often be misdiagnosed mm -hmm. as BPD or even bipolar. Yes. Um, with within bipolar and within uh, BPD, there can be manic episodes of where somebody becomes hypersexual. Absolutely. Uh, and and would you agree or disagree? Because and and I'll I'll preface this by saying I know that there are people who disagree with me on this and people that agree. So either way, it's perfectly fine. But what I have seen is that when there are men who have been abandoned by women, that they are more likely to cheat mm -hmm. and have infidelity in the marriage than those who were abandoned by their father. Yes. Um, very interesting that you brought that up. One of the things I was recalling, um, you know, there's multi-generational patterns in relationships based on family history and trauma. And you talked about abandonment. And one of the things that came to me was, you know, connected issues or attachment disorders, right? And I, and I hate to label because at the end of the day, you know, there's a big empty hole in your heart, hmm. you know, is what it is. And our mom, you know, whatever you feel about equality, your mother generally in nature is your primary caretaker. And when you don't have that primary caretaker, you're on one hand, you're looking for that person to, you know, somebody to replace them, that loss. But at the same time, you're still angry with that person. So there could be some counter transference. So you're looking for something because you're looking to get something out of those relationships, no matter what they are. And from James and in talking with him and, and reading through material, his initial statement was that he was solely looking for sex, that it mm -hmm. was not a seeking of relationship. But I would have to say that our bodies don't work that way, really. Agreed. And so there was, while it was sex, it really was looking for an intimate relationship that you only get through having sex. Correct. So that connected, like we were talking about earlier, the connected disorders or um, attachment disorders, we're looking for something, you know, whether it's sex or food or drugs, you know, fill in the blank. We're looking for something to fill in that empty space. 
And so, James, if I may ask a very personal question, and let me back this up by saying someone who has, I was a former law enforcement officer, and so I've, I've looked at psychology a lot within criminal justice system, is that peeping toms turn into rapists. You know, there's this progression, and I'm by all means, I'm not saying you're a peeping Tom or racist. I'm getting to something here, but you you don't just start out with bank robbery. There's petty larceny. There are things. So, was there things for you, whether that was secret phone calls, sending inappropriate pictures back and forth, was there pornography that started this pattern of seeking intimacy? So the first thing that happened was. So when I, I physically cheated, but before that I was talking to a woman and I think before I talked to any other woman, it was more like I would go out and just meet people. Didn't have to be women, didn't have to be men, but I was going out just to get time just to talk to other people, I guess. And which led into talking to women, which led to cheating. It's important that as married couples, we understand that while we're married, we still need our space. You know, we still need that time that we're able to do the things that we enjoy without our spouse. For instance, I being in the great state of Arkansas, just like Texas, we like to shoot guns and blow things up. You know, that's just, that's just (laughs) what we do. I, I have a friend that he lived in North Carolina. When I lived in North Carolina, I knew him there. I ran into him at Home Depot here in Little Rock. I was like, what are you doing here? Well, he had moved. Well, we reconnected and we went to the shooting range. And the first thing my wife said was, well, I want to go to the shooting range with you as well. And I'm going, no, <laughs> no, that's, I, I need to, we have to have those relationships outside, but they, but they can't get to a point of, of intimacy or dependency. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is for the for the inner sanctum of marriage. Janae, was there a point in time that you ever thought James doesn't have any friends? I mean, <clears throat> he's never. So he has friends. Well, okay. Let me rephrase this. When we first met, he had friends, and then he'd always say he has friends at work and friends here and there, but he doesn't have friends like I have friends. Where like he knows them all. And I hang out with them. I go see them. So, yes, I guess I understand what you're saying. So, no, he doesn't have friends like I have friends. I mean, but I never really, I guess, any thought anything of it because I'm the extrovert and he's more the introvert. I have friends. They were friends that I would hang out with all the time. And then it just, it changed to, I just got serious with my career and my marriage and it just switched. And I... Stop hanging out with them. So did you find yourself in a position of where there was this deficit in your life that you needed to feel and it ended up in infidelity? I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. Um, I feel like there's two things, though. I feel like, one, I kind of lost those connections and those friendships. And two, I feel like we, her and I, have also lost that as friends where we haven't been spending time and doing the things that we used to do as friends before either. Yeah. And, and one thing that I try to tell, and Rachel, I'm sure you do too, in, in couples counseling is never stop dating each other. Yeah. You know, she told us that. that that's yeah. a, that's a big one. 
you know, one of the things that I like to ask couples is like, what was different when you were dating? You know, you, you, you looked cuter, you smelled better, your car was cleaner, your muscles were a little bigger, you know, don't stop doing those things. You know, so for some reason we say I do. Um, and then we, we stop, right? <laughs> and, and then something that I do often see in couples counseling where you're young and, you know, you have um, children, that does take your time. It does change the dynamic. But that doesn't mean you're only parents. You know, you're still, no matter what your name is here, you know, James and Janae, you're still those people. Yeah. You're not just, you know, mom and dad. And your kids need to see that. They need to see you as individuals. They need to see you flirting. They need to see you having fun. And, you know, just laughing. It's very important for that modeling for the kids to not just st don't stop dating. I love that. Yeah, I, I have a, a client uh, he and his wife that I'm I'm doing counseling with right now that he is not a very touchy feely person, and he never saw that in his home. His dad wasn't that way, and so he never was exposed to that. That you're supposed to hold your wife's hand if you're walking somewhere. You know, he wasn't exposed to that, and so and and I truly believe that love is blind. You know, when we, we let things slide that we n normally wouldn't let slide and then we get into marriage and all of a sudden we have a desire for that, mm -hmm. that, that we never expressed. And so, uh, Janae, was there ever a time where you said to James, hey, I, I wish that you would do this with me or I wish you would do this for me or I wish we could do this together? Um, no, actually, we're, uh, we're, we're flip-flopped on that. So he's definitely the more... <clears throat> touchy feely his love language is physical touch and mine is acts of service so i'm not the lovey-dovey one okay i love a good hallmark movie which is <laughs> ironic because i'm totally not that girl in general that like likes that kind of stuff like i'm very low-key and so i think that's hard for him because i am we are very flipped when it comes to that so he is the touchy feely like lovey-dovey person and i'm like good <laughs> she'd rather me take the trash out uh, which... well in 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 asking that question and knowing that there was in an interview that we will talk about in in the next episode uh of where you were on the dr phil show and and james made the statement that a thousand percent he would not have cheated had you had a strong i'll just say a strong sexual relationship. Yeah. I, I'm not buying that. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's more than just that, that, that may be the excuse that we give, but, but there's more to it than that, but it is a large component within that intimacy and, and longing for something that, that you can't have. And, and I'm sure that, that, you know, you may not crave something you like until you go on a diet and then you crave it because you know that you don't have it and you can't get it. Yeah. And so did he ever come to you and say, hey, we need to strengthen up this area of our relationship because I feel like I'm losing here? Yes and no. Okay, so yes, he did. But then it would just end at that where I'm the kind of person that if I'm saying that, I'm going to make a plan to make that happen. It would just say it and then that would be it. Like there was no like, oh, let's go get like, a counselor to help us work on this or let's like try these things or go do this. Like it was never like that. It was just a statement, which I guess isn't 
it's not wrong. It's just not how I work. I like plans, I guess. That's a good way to put it. I like plans, like to work stuff out. Like, I don't think you can just say something and it magically gets fixed. So let me, let me rephrase this question, if I may, to be a little bit more direct. Was there ever a time that James said, hey, we're not having sex anymore. We need to have more sex. Yeah, but the whole ironic part about him saying that as he said it on the show is literally we had sex like a day before he went and had sex with Chelsea. So because we were trying to have a kid, so we were having sex multiple times a week. So Because that, you were trying to have a child. Yes. And, and as a man, I can say it is a different type of intimacy when you're working towards having a child as opposed to you're working towards gratification. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Rachel? I, I would, because it all, one sounds more mechanical and less intimate, like really connecting. And that doesn't mean that sometimes, you know, you just don't have those wham, bam, you know, let's just go do it moments. But there has to be some connection because when you lose that, you know, it's kind of a lonely, cold place to be. Yeah. And, and with three children in the home, there's probably not going to be any of those wham, bam, let's just go. Exactly. Not, not very many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so where are you at today, James and Janae? Where are you actively trying to reconcile? Are you still in a, a place of where you don't know if you want to or you don't know that you'll ever be able to trust again? Where Where is your relationship now? I'm still in an I don't know because I don't, I still don't have the trust obviously right now. And I don't want to say that I'm going to try and then get screwed over. So I'm very hesitant because I want more time to pass to see these actually putting forth the effort because I've had him do this before where he said he was going to try and then time passes and then he just stops. Yeah, I, I think it is it is important for us to note that there wasn't just one woman that this happened yeah. more than once. Yeah, there was one woman he was talking to sexually and that, that he was hanging out with a bunch of times. And talking to it at night. And then there was another one that he was physically intimate with. So, yes, you're correct. Okay. But you're still living together. You're not legally separated. Yes, you're living for together, yeah. You've not filed for divorce. No. Have you set up a very clear expectation or even boundaries for him that you need him to do for him to gain, start gaining trust? Yeah. And I've um, said that to him as well, obviously, our therapist. I've said that not only do I need to gain trust back, but he has to gain, I will not stay with him if he can't gain the respect back of my friends and family, because they're the ones that were there for me. And they mean a lot to me. And he didn't just like, screw things over for me. But like, I mean, he put everyone through a whirlwind because of the repetitive behavior. It's not just the cheating. It's been multiple things throughout our life that has happened. And this is just kind of like the final straw. So like he has a lot of people that he'd have to talk to before I would even say, okay, I'm going to put a hundred percent effort in trying to make this work again. And he knows that I've said it many times. So James, have you actually verbally apologized for your actions? Yes. And Janae, did you feel like that apology was sincere or do you feel it was forced? I feel it was sincere Yes, I feel it's sincere, but at the same time, I just don't, I feel like this is one of those situations where, and I'm sorry, isn't going to make it better for me. Sure. So 
yes, I think it was sincere. It's just not one of those situations where an I'm sorry is just going to make me be like, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one example that I give of that is that if you go take a plate out of your cabinet and you throw it on the floor and it breaks into a million pieces, if you tell it you're sorry, it's not just going to magically yeah. put itself back together. <laughs> yeah. You're still going to have to pick up the pieces and glue it and put it back together. But there is always going to be imperfections there. I hate to say it this way, and and Rachel, you may disagree, but it's not ever going to be like it used to be. That relationship is always going to have that minuscule amount of mistrust, suspicion, and that's something that James is going to have to be able to cope with. I, and I absolutely agree with that. And oftentimes what I'll you know kind of tell clients is, you have to be willing to hear it. So you may have a wave or a thought or a feeling or an emotion that kind of comes over you. And instead of telling the person, well, I don't want to hear it. Just get over it. Why are you still thinking about that? Just say, you know, is there anything I can do? You know, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way, but then let's move on and it'll happen again, but then let's move on. We don't need to, you know, be punishing each other forever, but you will have moments and we just need to be able to say, I'm sorry. And then let's go do something good. Let's go do something nice. So, James, if the roles were reversed here and it had been Janae who cheated, how would you have been responding during this time? I've been cheated on before. I know how I reacted when that happened to me. But this was obviously I wasn't married to the person. It was actually when I was in college. And I actually honestly thought I was going to marry her. And so it hurt. And I actually... I remember uh, I was in basic training when it happened. And so I got back and I, I thought I needed to fix things. I automatically blamed myself and thought I needed to do something to save it. You know, and I put the blame on myself. I've changed a lot since then. I don't know if I would have been like that or not. If there's something like that that happens, usually I will take the blame and I will try fixing things or want to fix things. I'd be really mad at first at her, but then the more time I spend in my own head, I'll start to think, well, I must have done something to cause this. And that's how my mind's always worked. I mean, even earlier on when we're, I was talking about my mom, every single time I felt like I needed to take her back and I needed to help her figure it out. So I, I, that lends more towards the abandonment yeah. issue that, that you have done something to cause this. Mm-hmm. Have you communicated to Janae that she didn't cause you to do what you did? I have. Yeah. And Janae, do yeah, you? I've really, I say it a lot because at first I wasn't. And so I feel like I really, and I was actually doing the opposite. So I feel like now I really need to, you know, hit that home, make sure she understands that. And, and Janae, do you, do you accept that, that you had, were at no cause for his actions? Yeah, I, I've thought that since day one. I mean, that's how I've been raised by the women in my family and the men. You're an adult. You're responsible for your own actions. You can't force someone to do anything else. There was no gun to his head. There was no, you know, he chose to do it. His actions, his consequences, that has nothing to do with me. So that's why I think, as I said, we're going to touch on it later, but a lot of people get mad at the videos that I do and then on Dr. Phil because I sit there and I don't blame James or get upset, but, you know, he did blame me, but I don't take it that way. So I don't feel 
the anger and like the angst to like attack him for it because I'm, I don't take it like that. I'm very confident in that. I didn't do anything. So right. there's, there's a lot of people that don't like how she's acting because they feel like she should be more mad, you know, quote unquote, and acting that anger out to really show that person, you know, pay it back to them or whatever. There's a lot of people that are like that and they make it very clear when they're commenting on her videos. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we'll get into that a little more in the next episode, but uh, just kind of wrapping this part up, Janae, do you still love James? Yes, I do. Uh, could you just tell me two things that you love about him? I love that when he actually puts forth effort, he is a very good and hands-on dad, which I've noticed since starting my um, training because roles have reversed. So he's had to be a stay-at-home dad for the last week and a half that's something i love about him and then i love that when he wants to be caring and kind he can be one of the nicest people i know and caring and kind and like go above and beyond and he does pay attention but it has to be something that he's interested in and he wants to pay attention i mean and that's just part of his personality if he's not interested in it and he doesn't really want to do it he won't but if he does like when he first was trying to get me to date him or like now trying to win me back. Like he pays attention to things and does things for me that he knows that I want done, which I appreciate, which makes me love him more. And, and James, the same question to you. Do you, do you love Janae? Yes, I do. And, and I want to ask a, a second question of that. Was there ever a point where you did not love her? There was a point And during that whole point time of me cheating, I think I forced myself to make it seem, make myself feel like I didn't love her anymore. And I think part of that was I got really good at emotionally detaching from things over time. I've gotten really good at that. And you add the fact that I stopped taking my medicine. And so it just created this whole, I don't know, this huge storm. And I really started putting up walls because I knew what I was doing, I shouldn't be doing. And I knew it could, it could, it was possibly going to lead to divorce or it, there's a possibility there. So I started building those walls up in preparation. And that's why she said, or when she was telling you that day when she was crying, I was, you know, I was calling her pathetic. And that was, that is all because of those walls I was building up. And I was really trying to, you know, push her away, push myself away you can ask her that that's not me at all. Like that, it goes so against who I am, my character. And so, but during that period in time, I felt like I was not like, I didn't love her, but I think that was this, I think I was really kind of amping myself up to feel like that. So, but it's like creating the crisis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what I was about to say. It's, it was, it was preparing yourself to justify to yourself that I don't love her and that's how I could do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Rachel, what's the prognosis here? Well, I have hope, you know, they're still together and she hasn't left and she could at any time. I think she, I think they both have hope. 
you know, and I, I watch James' expressions very closely, and he knows, I, I know that he has some fear and he's afraid, and I, and I know she is as well. But there's, they've stuck together right now. You know, they're in the trenches and they're fighting for this marriage. And no matter which, you know, which direction they decide to go, you know, there will be no judgment here. But I do hold out hope for them. I would be concerned if there wasn't any fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and as I said, you know, or as Rachel said, there's no judgment if it doesn't work. Uh, because at the end of the day, I may be a little bit more pointed to clients. I say it's better to be single and happy than it is to be married and miserable. Yeah. Uh, because I you... You have to take care of you. Uh, and if you can make it work and you can work together and you can salvage it, then that's what you should do. But if it gets to a point of where it's not manageable and it's not equitable to each of you, then there may come a point where you just have to walk away. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I would encourage you that if it does get to that point that you both continue to see a mental health provider to be able to deal with that trauma, that new trauma of, of divorce. Well, James, Janae, Rachel, I appreciate you being on this episode with us. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, on our next episode, we're going to talk about your appearance on Dr. Phil, the wonderful, valuable, famous, right, mm-hmm. Dr. Phil, um, and and some of the things that really happen there that, that we need to be a little careful of yes. uh, when, when it comes to concerning our mental health. Uh, as I said, I appreciate you being here. Rachel, do you have social media where people could find you? Yes. Yeah, so the name of my clinic is Lake Ray Hubbard Counseling. And there is a Facebook page for the clinic. And then Lake Ray Hubbard Counseling TX.com is the website. Not fancy. So definitely uh, feel free to reach out uh, on the Facebook. I, I do return calls. I answer my own phone and return messages as promptly as possible. All right. And Janae and James, you both have, have different accounts. So if you just tell me where they could find each of you real quick. It's easier to find Janae because my name's so <laughs> common. But if you look up Janae, you could find me. But I think on TikTok, they can just look up Janae Smith. Yeah, Janae N. Smith. Yep. Okay. All right. And we'll put that information in the description of this podcast. Uh, Once again, thank you for being here uh, with me. I'm Doc Brian. You can find all of my social media links at thedocbrian.com. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. And you can find all of our podcasts there at Be Frank Network. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in to this next episode where we talk about their occurrence on the Dr. Phil show. Thank you. Have a great day. Mm